0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. Now the government has a thing called the National Development Plan. There's 165 billion euro earmarked for spending on things like schools, primary health care centres, hospitals, the metro all sorts of things, even homes. But an awful lot of the stuff promised takes an awful long time to get delivered. We're joined by the Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Donoghue. Uh, tell us about the changes that you want to bring in and what difference they might make.
1: So there's a number of changes, Matt, uh, that government agreed to yesterday and thanks for having me on your programme. Some of the key ones are is that we want to shorten the decision-making process Um, uh, particularly with regard uh, to capital projects. So there's schools, it's trains, it's buses, uh, it's our universities. And we also want to change the threshold at which an even more complex level of scrutiny would apply to capital spending decisions. From €100 million, Euro, we would increase that to €200 million, Euro, hopefully allowing smaller and medium-sized projects to move forward at a quicker pace.
0: But aren't those, also... sorry, aren't those marks there to make sure that we don't have corruption, that we don't have favourite parties getting deals which might not deliver value for money to the state?
1: So I genuinely feel, Matt, uh, that the days in which corruption are, is influencing uh, spending decisions that are being made, any spending decision, not to mention spending decisions and how we build our our, our schools and invest in our country's future, uh, I believe those days are well behind us. Uh, the point that you make regarding value for money, um, I think, however, is a, is a very important and fair point. I do believe we will still be able to strongly retain the focus and value for money, but one of the things that has changed, as your listeners will well know, uh, Matt, is we're now in an environment in which inflation is higher for longer, and the longer that we uh, consider projects, the cost of them is just going up and up and up, which end up taking costs even more of your taxpayers' money. So we want to retain the value, the focus and value for money, but we're aiming to do that decision and that evaluation quicker than we have in the past.
0: Can you give me three examples of major projects that you would regard as been held up by red tape?
1: So uh, I would uh, look at, for example, uh, where we are in projects in transport, for example. Now, what I should say is one person's red tape is another uh, important evaluation that needs to happen, okay? Okay. So because projects have been slowed down in the past because of the need to evaluate them, it doesn't mean, for example, that I believe that work didn't need to be done. But I know from the view of other people, it does look like red tape. So if I was to give examples of what they would be, I would look at, for example, projects in relation to Bus Connects. I would look at projects in relation to how we would develop our rail network that some may argue have been delayed by red tape. Um, I would say the processes have taken the time that they need. But now, given where we are at the moment, I accept the need to shorten those processes.
0: But do we have enough urgency when it comes to major state projects in the way that, for example, private projects might be done? And I'll just give you one concrete example with the same construction company involved. The difference between the National Children's Hospital, which keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed, being majorly majorly built by BAM, who were down in Intel. In County Kildare at Leakslip where that process, where there is billions been invested as well, seems to have moved ahead far, far faster
1: but They are very very different kinds of projects um, One is building manufacturing capacity, uh, admittedly for the most one of the most complex things in the world and the other facility that we are talking about is how we treat sick children So, comparably speaking, they're projects of a very, very, very different nature. I bet you'll find,
0: Minister, that if you look at how things have been delayed, that the hospital has been delayed far more than the building of the manufacturing facility, which, as you acknowledge, is actually incredibly complex as well.
1: Oh, no, I I take your point. It is very, very complex. Uh, But, uh, you know, uh, a government does have to operate in a very different uh, kind of sphere with a very different level of transparency on us to how a private sector company does to whom it is accountable to their shareholders. So, you know, I have to be able to account to you, UMass and to the voters regarding, you know, how we spend tens of millions of euro, let alone how we spend many, many billions of euros. The private sector companies, and I, you know, worked in the private sector myself for many years, you know, does operate in a a, a different way. And, like, let me give you a concrete example of us. If something goes wrong with the delivery of a facility such as you're referring to, you know, the person involved in that, you know, will not be in front of a parliamentary committee. They will not be answering questions in public regarding how private sector money is used. In government, it's very different, and it should be, because the only money that we have is the money that we collect from your listeners through the taxes they pay. So there's, you know, there, I think there's fundamental differences between the two, but where I do agree with you and do take your point is in the evaluation process leading up to major capital decisions, we can learn from the private sector who are doing these things quicker because we're in an atmosphere now where the cost of building anything is going up.
0: Yeah, but what about the delivery? Because the cost of the National Children's Hospital, and I'm just taking that as one example, has escalated way beyond original projections. And that was happening even before we've had recent inflation and it's taking far longer to do. And that has created a perception that when the state gets involved in major infrastructure projects, it doesn't do a particularly good job of them.
1: And uh, while that perception uh, may be there, um, due to, in part, what has happened with the National Children's Hospital, I would make the case to you that there's other projects all over the length and breadth of the country that prove how we can do these things well. I'll give you two examples of them. The new uh, runway out in Dublin Airport, uh, which was a project that was delivered by the stage through Dublin Airport Authority. I'll give you the other example of the uh, technological university uh, campus in Grange-Gorman and similar campuses like that all over the length and breadth of Ireland. They're two major capital projects that were delivered in the way I think the taxpayer would want. Fully accept we got things wrong with the National Children's Hospital, and the lessons we learned from that won't be lost in the changes that we're making to our public spending code. But there are many other projects across the length and breadth of the country that we do deliver in the way the taxpayer would expect us to deliver them.
0: How how confident can we be to take another example that Metro will actually be built... And that will be built in a reasonable frame of time and for a reasonable cost, given that it has been announced on God knows how many occasions and cancelled and delayed and various studies conducted at the cost of hundreds of millions of euro dumped previously.
1: To the best of my knowledge, it was announced once and cancelled once. And the reason for that was Ireland entered into a global financial crisis in which we were, uh, as you know, in a bailout programme and could not raise the money to fund our essential services. That was the reason why that project did not go ahead, along with many other reasons. Uh, You know, along with many other projects, I should say, with regard to this metro at the moment, uh, I I believe uh, that that project will happen. Um, And for as long as I'm in government uh, and play a role in these decisions, um, I'm certain that it will happen uh, because it is a project that I believe its time has come If I look at where we are from a housing perspective alone, we will not be able to make use of the development that is there in in the north side of the county of Dublin unless we have a public transport facility that is capable of moving the quantities of citizens that we will need uh, to commute and give them an alternative apart from the road and apart from their car and that's why I believe that project will happen.
0: Well, you mentioned housing and as it happens, something we discussed here in the programme earlier this week was the comments made by Stephen Garvey of Glenve Properties last week about 1,100 people involved in regulation in the Central Bank of Financial Services but only 70 inspectors in the planning process and less than 10 actually working at present when it comes to actually making decisions on the board on board Planola, which means you have a backlog at the moment for public and private permissions running at about a year. So how are you going to actually oversee delivery of the National Development Plan if you have that sort of backlog in the planning system?
1: That's called out specifically in the uh, government decision yesterday and in the communication that I made today where I accept the point uh, that ball planola had to make decisions now, not just on housing, but what has now changed is the number of infrastructure projects that they have. Uh, They will need uh, more support, more resource uh, from government and I'm engaging with on Bob Planola and Minister Darrell O'Brien to do it. Uh,
0: How many more? Because look at the difference in the numbers between regulation in the central Bank, which came belatedly after the crash, and the obvious need that there is now for enormous extra numbers in the planning system to sort out projects big and small to stop delays that Change the whole financial uh, calculations for the projects because of the delays.
1: So, on am Planola are engaging with Minister Dara O'Brien on this at the moment. The reason I bring Dara into us as Minister for Planning, he's responsible for that agency, and I expect they will be coming to me shortly with their view regarding what are the people that they will need to do this work. Of course, the next challenge that we'll have, Matt, is those people. It's not a case that they're idle at the moment and not doing work. They're doing work elsewhere. Many of them are working within the private sector uh, for the companies, actually, that on board planola play a role in both regulation and make planning decisions about. And we will have to find a way over time, and I want to do it as quickly as we can, Moving resource and moving these expertise um, from other parts of our economy into one planola, um, and I do accept the point that even though Planola I believe have done a very fine job in the planning process in our country in the past. They're now under um, a lot of pressure uh, because of the variety of projects they have to make decisions on and the fact that it's now well beyond housing. And I'm going to work with Dara to meet that need as soon as we can.
0: You mentioned earlier about all of the money being spent on behalf of taxpayers coming from their taxes, except an awful lot of the money also comes from borrowing. As interest rates have gone up, and as interest rates are likely to go up <coughs> further, if we believe the comments from the Chief Economist of the European Central Bank, Philip Lane. How concerned are you that an awful lot of the projects that you want to oversee, the National Development Plan, may actually be more difficult to finance and won't happen because of that?
1: So if I look at where the state stands overall, uh, the re- the question you're putting to, to me regarding what is the effect of interest rates going up and borrowing It's the very reason I've spent six years arguing for the need for Ireland to be running budget surpluses, and it's the reason why, on two different occasions, I've got us to the point that we're running budget surpluses, including at the moment. So from a state point of view, as long as we are running a budget surplus or even balancing our books, the only way in which rising interest rates affects the ability of the state to do things is if we refinance debt, which we do but we do it over many, many years. So in terms of the projects the state is looking to fund directly, I don't believe that interest rates going up will fund our €160 billion plan because across the lifetime of that plan we're also aiming to run budget surpluses, insulating us from interest rates going up. It is the case, though, to just give a – I don't want to um, give a – Too complex an answer on this, unless you want to probe me further on a map, though. It is the case that interest rates going up will affect the ability of the private sector to play their role in delivering the projects that we want. And we may have to work with the private sector on that issue in the time ahead. But currently, there's no signs of us.
0: Just in your role as the president of the Eurogroup How concerned are you about the future stability of the banking system? Because it does seem that rising interest rates has certainly caught many of them unawares when it comes to the need to protect their balance sheets.
1: So I don't think there's any event that's more capable of sending a collective uh, shiver down the spine of Irish people than waking up in the morning and uh, hearing news that bank shares are plunging and that a number of banks um, have in effect just been closed down given the visceral and such damaging events that we all went through there uh, from 2008 onwards. I also know then uh, that when Irish people hear politicians and regulators say that this time it's different and we're in a very different place, um, there is a a natural inclination towards scepticism of such claims, given what we went through as a country a number of years ago. I just want to recognise that context. If I look at where, however, the European banking system stands at the moment, there's two fundamental differences versus where we were a number of years ago, which is why I am confident in their stability. The first one is, is as a result of the 2008 crisis, we've required our banks to build up a huge amount of their own money on their own balance sheets, which is now there. That is um, playing a role in protecting European banks, even if banks elsewhere in the world don't have that level of funding on their balance sheets, are being affected by interest rates going up. And then finally, and very briefly, we don't have a credit bubble in our economy or in the European economy in the way we did 15 years ago, um, which plays a massive role in minimising how banking difficulties can feed through then into our real economy. Uh, so I'm confident in their stability, but I am also have learnt enough now to never be complacent in making a statement like that, which is why we check this so intensively every day in Europe now.
0: One final thing to you. The government survived vote of confidence today. It survived the vote in relation to evictions. However, where are the people who are due to be evicted from their rented properties from the end of this week going to go?
1: So, uh, uh, what As we approach what I know will be a difficult point um, and a point that's causing so much anxiety and stress for many, I do appreciate that. Uh, What we would hope is that other forms of rental accommodation are available. We hope that landlords would be sensitive to making this decision. And if none of that was available, uh, there's two further things that we're going to do. Uh, Number one, we're going to, and this scheme is already in place, give local authorities the money and the funding uh, to be able to purchase properties that have tenants living within them that might be affected by the change in this eviction moratorium. And secondly, and we hope few people have to use this, um, you know, we did use this eviction moratorium to increase the emergency services that are available and other forms of housing that are available to provide that help if it is needed. I hope it won't be needed for many but we do accept that this is a decision that could have, could have consequences that are very serious. A lot for of hope people.
0: in what you've been saying there, Minister. And what good is that going to do to the people who find themselves out the door next week?
1: Well, the, the point that I'm making about the further funding that we are giving to local authorities to intervene, particularly in the case of hop tenancies, that is not a statement of hope. Uh, that is funding that is available. Uh, the uh, point that I made about how we've tried to invest in new forms of housing during the duration of this moratorium that again isn't a hope it's something that we have done the reason why I do use the word hope is just on a human level as somebody who is involved in this decision and is well aware of what it can mean for some No, I I don't want people uh, to be very adversely affected by this decision but I accept that it could happen for some Okay, Uh, and I think it is uh, legitimate for me to say that I, I hope for those who are going to be affected by it, uh, that their landlord will think about the decision that they do make, uh, that there will be other rental accommodations available for them, but then parking the hope that I do have there, in the absence of that happening, The government has taken steps to try to provide supports. But finally, Mark, because I know you'll you'll want to ask me about other things in a moment, it's also my view that if we extended this moratorium for another six months or nine months or 12 months, the problem at the end of that extension will be far bigger than it is today. And on all conscience, I would have believed that is also the wrong thing to let happen.
0: OK, as it happens, we've gone way over the time we'd allocated, so I don't have more things to ask you. Thank you very much, Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Donoghue, for being with us here on The Last Word of Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper.
1: Today FM. It all happens here.